wanted to read from the Bible, from John's Gospel, chapter 10. John 10, and I'm going to read from verse 22. John 10, if you've got your Bible, good to turn to these scriptures. It will be on the screen as well, but uh, always good to turn to the scriptures ourselves if possible. John 10, verse 22. Just a short passage. Go through to verse 30. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, And you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But if you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep, as I sorry, but you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. We'll finish there. Let's just uh, pray again. I know uh, we've just prayed, but uh, perhaps for my sake as well, let's uh, just pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And I ask that you would help me in uh, bringing the truth of your word and uh, letting your word speak to us. Would you help us and help me in this? And Lord, we thank you that you want to speak to us this morning. And you want to use your word, the living word. And so, Lord, help us, we pray, to have those ears that tune in to you. Take away any of the distractions. Help us to concentrate. Help us, Lord, to be alert to your spirit and sensitive to your spirit this morning, we pray. And as we pray for ourselves, we pray for Pastor Tony as well. They're down in Devon on our behalf, really, speaking at that Truth for Youth conference. Would you bless him? Help him, speak through him. And uh, Lord, may your word have that um, authority to bring your your will and express your will to both us and to the congregation down there as well. And as we pray for ourselves, we just bring uh, Carol uh, Patching to you, as as Carol Skinner. And uh, Lord, with this brain hemorrhage that she's she's had, Would you just have your hand upon her, we pray. Pray for Richard, her husband. Pray for, I think it's Leah and Dom, children. And uh, Valerie and um, Nigel as well, and the wider family. Lord, we pray for your hand of healing. We pray that you would give skill to those who tend her. And we pray that you'd bring her through this. And just put your hand upon her, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. 
Um, just to remind you as well, next uh, Sunday it's the, it's the early service as well. Uh, that's at 9 o'clock through till 10 o'clock. And then in the fortnight's time, it's the, there's a, a real hope-focused service as well in a fortnight. And there'll be opportunity to it'll be a special gift day as well for the Real Hope Ministry. And uh, Adam, Adam will be involved with that, and, and, and uh, Bruce as well will be preaching. When I was planning this, this series in Ephesians that we've been going through in our morning services, I felt really strongly that we shouldn't rush through, but should at times just pause and, and look at some of the uh, great truths that are in that passage or that chapter or even that, that whole book in, in more detail. So, so really that's what we've been doing at times. We've looked in more detail at the blessings that we have, our spiritual blessings in Christ, in heavenly places. We've looked at that whole theme of what it means to be predestined and chosen. This morning, I want to return to chapter 1 in Ephesians. So if you'd like to turn back to Ephesians 1, and I want to look at verses 13 and 14. I want to consider something that is of what I think is the utmost importance, and that is the security of the believer. So, these verses are so key in this, and I thought we could read it together. We'll read it off the screen, and just verses 13 and 14. Okay. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Last Sunday, I, I was, uh, we had a, a Sunday away, so I wasn't here myself, but I understood that Juanma spoke about security, or certainly that was part of his message, and about the needs that, that we have, just humanity has, for security. And uh, I think, as far as I understand, I haven't listened to the message yet, but Juanma spoke about how Christ offers the ultimate security. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Only true security, real security, comes through Christ. And this whole matter of security, I think, is so vital today because of the world we live in. I've been reading Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones's sermons that he preached in the 1950s at Westminster Chapel, uh, on this book of Ephesians, sort of in prepara- to help me in preparation for um, my studies. And it's interesting, back in those days, he, he was talking about how spiritually dark things had become, and how the morals of society had just um, corroded, and the, the, the whole spiritual temperature, as it were, was just an awful place. And and I was thinking, goodness me, if that was so in the 1950s, how much more so today? How much more? It's like as as though the 
the, the spiritual state of our nation has, has decreased exponentially. There's so much darkness around. And that will accelerate. There will be spiritual wickedness, darkness, evil, as we approach Christ's return. We don't know when Christ will come back. It could be imminent. We don't know that. But Scripture clearly shows that the, there will come an increase in evil as his return draws nearer. But that shouldn't discourage us. That, that shouldn't sort of make us downhearted and downbeat about things. We shouldn't be overwhelmed with, by that. First of all, because God's Word tells us it's going to happen. So we can have absolute confidence that God's in control. But also, haven't we got so much to be thankful for? Haven't we got so much to praise God for? In all of this dark world, in the, in the sinfulness that's, that's in the world. We've, we have, if you're a Christian, you've, you've been forgiven all of your sins. You've been delivered from the power of darkness. And you've been, the Bible says, translated. You've been transferred into the kingdom of the Son that God loves, the Father loves. We've already looked in Ephesians 1 how the power that raised Christ from the dead and then seated him at the right hand of God the Father is at work in you if you're a believer. You've that, that power at work in you now. And Paul wants you in, in his prayer to understand that. He says that you might know that power. And then we know that Christ will return. That is happening. That's going to happen. No doubt about that. We will see him face to face and we're going to be changed. So we have nothing to dread, nothing to fear. And the, these verses, verses 13 and 14, are the bedrock of that hope that you and I have in Christ. We know that God will bring to completion what he's begun, partly because of what he says in these verses. You know, there's so much, isn't there, unstable in Life and I, I don't know. We, we've all got things which could change. Even our, you know, our, our security that we have, our homes and things that we we bank on. There's this instability. Even our health can change. Our our, our family circumstances, our jobs, our friends. We, we live in a very unstable world. But God gives us amazing truths that will never shake. Foundational truths. An old preacher gave advice to a young preacher who was about to preach his first sermon as a, a visiting preacher. And the old preacher said, he said this, whatever you say, make sure you say something that's moving and soothing and satisfying. And afterwards, when they met together, uh, the old man asked him how he'd got on. And the young preacher said, he said, well, I must have said something that was moving because half the congregation got up and left. He said, I must have said something that was soothing because half of the rest of them fell asleep. And I must have said something satisfying because afterwards they said they'd had enough and there was no need for me to come back. Well, this text is both moving and soothing and satisfying, but all in the right ways. There are two very important word pictures in these verses that speak of security and safety and permanence. 
So the first word is the word seal. Verse 13, not the, not the fish-eating seal. This is another sort of seal. Verse 13. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The NIV puts it like this, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So, God seals the believer with the Holy Spirit. What's it mean to be sealed? Well, the word's used in, in two different, well, more than two, but I want to think of two different ways that it's used in the New Testament. When the body of Jesus was put into the tomb, the soldiers put the stone around to the, 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 the entrance of the tomb, and it says they sealed it. They made it secure. So no one could get in and no one could get out. In a similar way, if you turn to Revelation chapter 3, Sorry, Revelation chapter 20. And this uh, looks ahead to the time when God casts Satan into what's called the bottomless pit. Revelation 20 and verse 3, it says this. And he cast him, the devil, into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a short while. So there, again, you have this picture of the seal being something that secures. Something that shuts in. Closes in. So the Holy Spirit is the seal. Which locks us, the Holy Spirit locks us into God. So that no one can break that seal. That's the idea behind the seal. But then there's another word, another way that the word seal in the Bible is used. Just staying in Revelation and going back to Revelation 9, verse 3. 9, verse 3 and 4. Again, looking ahead to the end times. There's a plague of locusts that will descend on the earth. Nine, Revelation 9 verse 3, Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Then they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green thing, or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, whether that's speaking metaphorically or not, well, that's not the, the issue. We're not, we don't get into that now. But what it's showing is that the seal there is used as a brand, like a, a brand. So the locusts were to, not to harm any of those who had the seal of God, the brand of God on their foreheads. So there, the, the, the seal was like, a, it's like a seal of ownership. You know, like, if, if, I suppose it's still today, if you buy cattle or sheep, 
and uh, you buy them, you own them, they put the seal on the brand. And that's a seal of security, because that you're, 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 uh, you've secured them, they're your property. And it's a seal of ownership. So that means that those cattle belong to you. So the seal is a picture of ownership and of security, if you like, authenticity. So this is what the scripture says. The Holy Spirit is the believer's security, guaranteeing that we belong to God. He's purchased us. He's bought us. We belong to him. And because we have the Spirit, we know that we are God's possession. We're safe. We are protected. So do you see how both aspects of that word seal speak of security, safety, and of eternally belonging? Just uh, turn to, back to Ephesians. Ephesians 4, verse uh, 30. Ephesians 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So, or sealed until the day of redemption. So, when were you sealed until? The day of redemption. That's the day of salvation when, when we will be with Christ forever. So, that clearly shows that we are sealed, shut in, secure until the day of redemption for eternity so do not be grieved the do not grieve the holy spirit with whom you were sealed for the holy spirit for the day of redemption what if you lose the holy spirit then you can't the holy spirit is part of your life he becomes when you become a christian he becomes your, you you become his temple he dwells within you if you can lose the Holy Spirit, what's the point of being told that you have this amazing seal? If you're told, if you can lose something, there's no point having that seal. The, the whole point of the seal is it's absolutely safe, guaranteed, it's secure. So God sends the Holy Spirit into our lives as a preserving seal to lock in our faith until the final redemption. It's a protecting seal. And that's why Paul, of course, could say, didn't he, uh, that he was, he, could, he was absolutely persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, would ever separate him from the love of Christ. He was absolutely sure, he was absolutely persuaded that nothing that he could even think of, would ever separate him from that love. And then, back in uh, the text, in Ephesians 1, verse 14, Paul gives another of those word pictures. And it's the word guarantee. Verse, Ephesians 1, verse 14. And again, it's speaking of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise 
of his glory. The guarantee speaks of a down payment. So the NIV has, he says, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until redemption of those who are God's possession. You, we know what a deposit is. Put a deposit down on a house or a car or a flat or something. That is the security, isn't it? That's, you, you have secured it. And the guarantee or the deposit, if you like, guarantees the full payment will be given. So that's the thought behind this word guarantee. It's a pledge. It's a deposit. Guaranteeing what will be ours in eternity. So the Holy Spirit comes into the believer and he becomes our guarantee, our pledge that we one day will be with Christ forever. He's our down payment. I think it's uh, somebody else. It's not my illustration. Uh, it's not original to me, but somebody's liked it to the engagement ring. And I was thinking when I when I when I got engaged to Judith, I gave her an engagement ring, which was a promise of what was to come, that we were going to get married. But ring one ring wasn't enough. There had to be a second ring. The wedding ring, which thankfully was a lot cheaper than the first, but the first, first ring said that the other ring will follow. It's the pledge of what's to come. So when we first become Christians, we receive the Holy Spirit as a deposit, a guarantee that everything else will follow. I suppose you could say, I don't know if this, I, I think this is okay, that the Holy Spirit is the divine engagement ring of what's to come. He's the guarantee. He's the security. He's secured what's to come. Now, doesn't all of this speak of security? I mean, what's the point of a guarantee if it's not a guaranteed guarantee? <laughs> right? What's the point of a guarantee if it's, if it's not guaranteed? What's the point of being told that we've been sealed until the day of redemption if you can be unsealed? There isn't a point. It, it, it sort of doesn't make sense. The seal and the guarantee speak of eternal security. That's why, for example, let's turn to 1 Peter 1 verse 4. 1 Peter 1 verse 4. That's why Peter writes this. And he speaks of having an inheritance reserved in heaven for us. 1 Peter, verse 3. Can you go back to verse 3? Actually, thanks. Okay, I'll read yours. <laughs> Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his... Gr Let me just think. Yes, sir, that's right. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept, reserved in heaven for you. So if something's reserved, it's reserved. It's kept. It's set aside. You know, it's, it's there. It's specially waiting for us to be claimed. If, if, if my holiday is reserved, 
then it's there, unless the holiday firm goes bust, but it's there. God's bank, of course, will never go bust. So my inheritance is guaranteed and reserved. And look at what he goes on to say in 1 Peter 1 verse 5. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation, of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Who through faith are shielded. In the New King James, it's who are kept, held onto by the power of God through faith. So not only is your inheritance kept, reserved, you are kept and reserved. It's a double keeping. No one can steal the Christian's inheritance and no one can steal the Christian, basically. Because you have been kept by the Holy Spirit. And there are lots of other scriptures we could turn to. As, as This comes all the way through the New Testament. Just for now, let's look at what Jesus said in uh, John 6. A couple of references in John's Gospel. John chapter 6 and verse 39 and 40. John 6, 39 and 40. This, we're in the New King James uh, thing. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Did you see verse 39? And this is the will of him, sorry, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing. It's God's will that you and I would be given to, the, to Christ his Son, and whoever is given to him, Jesus said, I'll lose nothing. Never going to lose you. You're safe and secure. And then chapter 10, John 10 and verse 27. John 10 and verse 27. This is the uh, passage we read earlier. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Have you ever shaken somebody's hand and you've just wondered whether you'll get out of it? You know, you can feel the blood draining from you. It's not like a wet fish. It's, it's, this is an iron grip. God's grip is a cast iron grip. And Jesus said, those who are given to him are held in his hand and they are held in the Father's hand. And no one is going to snatch them out of that. That's the divine double grip. God has you. God will never, ever let go a true child of God. This is why I believe, and I can show you so many scriptures, that the Bible, the Word of God, promises 
eternal security for those who are truly saved. Truly saved. But someone might say, but what about those passages that speak of the need to endure to the end and to persevere to the end? What about those passages that say things like, make your calling and election sure? What about the passages that speak of the possibility of falling away and of being never being renewed? Or what about the, the passages that speak of the promise of the crown of life if we are faithful unto death? What about those? How do they fit in with this? Well, you'll have to come next Sunday. Because I haven't got time to go into that. Because I'm going to look at those next Sunday morning, see how it fits, and you see how these are just two sides of the same coin. But we haven't got time to go into that. But for now, I just want to finish by, I think, highlighting why I think God gives this so clearly in his word. What's God doing in all of this? What's God doing in giving the believer such guarantees of eternal security? And I, 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 can I just say, I think this is the most important part of the message, okay? So if you've dropped off to sleep, wake up, right? If, if somebody next to you is snoring, give them a nudge. This is so important. I didn't literally mean that, but... Uh, what, what, what's the reason for the sealing? What's the reason for, for God guaranteeing and giving us the Holy Spirit to guarantee our security? Why is God doing this? I see that the answer is, by doing these things, God is safeguarding His eternal plans in your life. God is safeguarding His eternal purposes for you. God is so passionate for you. God is so passionately concerned to have you for his own possession. And passionately concerned that you become like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for all eternity, to the praise of God, that he is not about to let your eternal destiny depend upon your faithfulness. Does that make sense? God is so longing for you to become like His Son. And He loves you with an eternal love. He will not allow your eternal destiny to, be, to hang upon your frail, weak faithfulness. Because if you're like me, I can wake up one day and I can feel strong in God, I can feel spiritually alive and I can feel as I'm walking with God and I, I, I just praise God, I'm a, I'm a believer. And then, sometime later, I can wake up and for whatever reason, I can feel as I've lost that security. And I said, Lord, and I can think, Lord, have I backslidden one more, too many times? Am I really a Christian? And, and so I can be in and out and in and out. And God says, no, it's not to do with your faithfulness, it's my faithfulness to you and so God secures you he anchors you if you like in him 
So your security in Christ, if you are a true believer, it's not, it's not in a few proof texts. There are many of those. It's grounded in God's eternal purposes for your life. That you will become a son and daughter of His. That you will become like Christ in eternity. And friends, that's God's purpose. No one can thwart His plans. Now I'd say praise the Lord for that. I'd say thank God. Because I know what I'm like. And I know how easily knocked off course I can be. And so Paul says, and we don't need to turn to this, he says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. He, he was confident. The absolute confidence. 2 Timothy, perhaps you can put the 2 Timothy 1, uh, verse 12 up. 2 Timothy 1, verse 12. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep not me, but he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. I'm I just so, so thankful that my salvation does not depend on my ability to stay and to stay saved. It seems to me that so many, so many Christians lack assurance. And I think that's so because there's a lack of understanding of, of what God's Word says and what God has done, and lack of understanding of what maybe what God's done for them in Christ. The whole point of God making it so clear in His Word is because He wants you to feel safe. He wants you to, to feel secure, to know His love. That you are secure in His love. Knowing that nothing can separate you from that. Because He knows that there will be times when you'll be tempted to think outside the box, as it were. To be tempted to, be, uh, to lose or to leave God and to feel your loss. And one thing that insecurity does, it robs us of zeal. It robs us of our, of our confidence. It robs us of our enthusiasm for God. But when you know that God is strong enough to keep you and to never let you go, you've got a solid foundation. You can go through anything. You can go through whatever is thrown at you when you have this security, this knowledge. I, I do believe this knowledge of assurance, this eter of eternal security, gives us the motivation to live holy lives, to seek to be godly, to live for Christ, to seek to witness for others. It doesn't set us up at ease. It doesn't make us think, well, that's it. Now I can sit back. It stirs us up because the love of Christ is our motivation. So, are you truly a Christian? Do you really know the Lord? Has there come a point? Not when you've made a decision. We're not talking about making decisions here. We're talking about really being born again of the Spirit. Where Christ has come in. Where the Lord has taken up residence. You know that. We'll see this next week. You know it because there's fruit in your life. 
You'll know it because there's the evidence of the outworking of the Spirit of God in your life. Do you know that? Then, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And if you don't have that, if you don't have that assurance, and, and, and it may be that you, you don't really know, you've never known the salvation that's in Christ. If you don't know that, God wants you to have it. God loves you with that eternal love and He wants you this morning to come to a place where you receive eternal life. And it's found in Christ. He that has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. God's provided it for you and me. And you know, all it takes, this is the wonder of our salvation, all it takes is a step of faith, like a child could do. So if you don't know Christ, and you don't have that assurance that when you die, you will go to heaven to be with Him forever, cry to God this morning. Ask Christ to forgive you. Say sorry for those sins that sent Him to the cross, and ask Christ into your life. And He will fulfill His promises as many as received him, Christ, to them gave he power to become a child of God, even to those who believe in his name. Let's just be quiet. Let's just, uh, in the quietness, absorb these truths, the things that God's been saying and speaking to your heart. God's word is always there to change us we need to respond so let's do that it may be a time of crying out to Jesus to become your saviour then you do that just in the quietness ask him to reveal himself ask him to come and make it clear that he's come into your heart He's come in to change you from within. Don't leave it another day. No day is guaranteed. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. So ask Christ to come into your life. If you're a Christian, give thanks to God. Thank Him for all that He's done for you. Providing for your salvation. And for the Holy Spirit living within you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you love your children so much that you don't want any to live in fear or uncertainty or discouragement. But Lord, you've given these great and precious promises, these truths in your word that give us such confidence in you and in your faithfulness. Lord, thank you that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Thank you, Lord, that we can be confident that what you have begun, you will complete. Thank you, Lord, that no one, not even Satan, can pluck us out of your hand. Lord, you've given us these assurances in your word not to cause us to settle back and 
sit back in ease and comfort. But Lord, to stir us to love you more, to, to seek to live out our lives for you, because you have done so much. We owe you everything. Lord, help us to live for you. Help us, we pray, to seek to please you. Lord, for any who may be attacked in some way spiritually and feel, Lord, that they're just finding things so hard, Lord, would you, we pray, just meet their need this morning. Maybe, Lord, of something actually physical or emotional or mental, Lord, we pray. Would you give your reassurances this morning that you're with every child of God. And for those who don't know you, Lord, and for those who are searching and maybe haven't quite made their mind up, Lord, would you bring them to a place of decision, that this will be a day of decision for them, so that they can say, I have believed, I have put my trust in Christ, I'm part of the church of God. Thank you. Lord, give the gift of faith for salvation, we pray. Hear our prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song. A lot of our songs have these sort of thoughts in, in them. And perhaps we perhaps just sing them and maybe not aware of them. But this is one of the great songs. Before the throne of God above. I have a strong, a perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is written on his hands. My name is hidden In his heart, I know that while in heaven he stands, no power can force me to depart. No power can force me to depart. Let's uh, worship God as we sing this song. My Savior and my God. I just ask our um, prayer team afterwards to come and just uh, sit down. And uh, if anyone would like to come forward for prayer, uh, for whatever reason, do come. And uh, if you've made a, a real commitment today, uh, please let me know. Please let me know. It's good to tell someone. And uh, I'll be able to pray for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that it is possible because of Jesus to say, one with my Lord, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is safe with Christ on high. With Christ, my Saviour and my God. With Christ, my Saviour and my God. Thank you for making that possible. Thank you for your great, wonderful love. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Saviour who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen.